Oh, hello, hello, Leah Pika here. Today's guest is world-renowned for her vast expertise in data visualization and dashboard dexterity. Stay tuned to find out who's heating things up on the Present Beyond Measure Show, episode 73. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to the 73rd episode of the Present Beyond Measure Show, the only podcast at the intersection of presentation, data visualization, storytelling, and analytics. This is the place to be if you're ready to make maximum impact and create credibility through thoughtfully presented insights and ideas. And today, you are here either because you like data and you design dashboards for a living and you want to learn how to do it better, or like me, you are a raving fan of today's super special guest. Now, as usual, I am super stoked for today's guest. <laughs> that never changes. But in particular, this guest has been on my radar for a very long time where her practical and practitioner-centered approach to data visualization and communication has garnered her a very well-deserved and raving fan base. Let's jump to it. All right, everyone. Today's guest is an internationally acclaimed speaker who equips organizations to get their data out of dusty old spreadsheets and into real-world conversations. She is considered one of the field's foremost experts, and each year she delivers over 100 keynotes, workshops, and webinars with the aim of equipping organizations to visualize data more effectively. And she's been invited to speak in 10 countries, Thousands have enrolled in her online training academy, and she's consulted to 200 organizations, including the United Nations, the CDC, and Harvard University. Hmm, I don't know. Heard of those? (laughs) (laughs) She's been a personal hero of mine since the beginning of my journey into data visualization awesomeness. So please help me fangirl and welcome the latest guest in my superstar Women in Analytics Spotlight, and Kay Emery. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leah. That's great. What a great intro. Wow. Jeez, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a podcast, so half the people won't see that. <laughs> but no, honestly, it's very well deserved. This is a moment in the making for me for 10 years now. Your work has had a profound impact on the development of my journey as both a data vizier and a speaker and trainer in this space. And I'm such a huge fan and I've just been working so hard to get you on here. So this is an exciting moment. Great, 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 great. <laughs> so everyone loves a great superhero origin story. You know, you've been at this for quite a long time, but we'd love to really hear how did you fall into this wacky and wonderful world of data viz? Well, in college, I knew I liked spreadsheets. I think my dad's an economist, so I just kind of inherited the spreadsheet gene. And I remember mentioning to my, <laughs> yeah, you just, I think you're just kind of born with it. I have that. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us are. We'll talk about technical people and spreadsheets, I'm sure, plenty. And I remember 
I didn't know what career paths you went into with data. This was before data science or data analytics or big data or whatever the big AI, whatever the big terms are these days. You know, this is like back in college time. And I mentioned to a professor, oh, I, I guess I'll be an accountant. I think I'll be an accountant. I think that's what I'll do. And he was like, no, you would be terrible at that. And I thought he meant that Aww. my spreadsheet skills were terrible. I must have showed that on my face. Like, what, what, what? And he said, no, you're an extrovert. You can work with data, but you have to do something working with teams and people and like bringing people together ah. about data. There's some other angle of it that's not just looking at spreadsheets all day, every day, like accountants. And I was like, I don't know. That sounds like the best thing in the whole world to look at spreadsheets every day, <laughs> you know, which, which I get to do for big chunks of every day and is great. So after college, I got the typical corporate jobs. And then one thing led to another. I started speaking at conferences, as I know you do a lot too. And people just started to ask me to do this at their company. So I would give a talk and they'd say, wow, this was so helpful can we fly you out and you give the full day version of this to our company? So I did a couple mm. of those to get my feet wet and turned it into a full-time job. And here I am, year eight of working for myself. Wow. It's only been eight years. That's amazing because that's not too far from how long I started, but I feel like you had such a strong presence even back then when I discovered you. So you really must have hit the industry hard <laughs> out of the gate. Well, I think I started blogging and YouTubing before that uh, when I had a salary job okay. just for fun as as a pure, honestly, as a pure hobby. Back when I had, I have three kids now. So this was back pre-kids when I could like <laughs> wow. wake up on Saturday morning and write a blog post. Not anymore. Yeah, Not yeah. anymore at all. But I yeah, that. I started doing like <laughs> blogging and YouTubing as a hobby pre-self-employment too. So that might be the timeline that more people are familiar with for me. Well, that's already an amazing tip right there is if you're really passionate about the subject that you're a specialist in, get out there and start writing a blog or writing some videos and you never know what path it could lead you to, right? Absolutely. And do it before you have kids, before your time disappears. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do it. Hire a team. <laughs> Automate. <laughs> yes, completely. Well, that is a really fascinating story. I'm so thrilled that you were rejected from a career in accounting in order to bring so much knowledge to this space. So your work has really covered so much of the gamut of data visualization. You've been on so many podcasts. You know, I used to use your chart choosing tool and, and things like that. But today we're very interested in talking about dashboards, these things that like I get asked about all the time and everyone loves because I'm more on the more boring, non-sexy data presentation side, <laughs> but people love their dashboards. And I think this is one of the areas where the little changes can make big, massive improvements. So you actually brought today an idea, like a framework that you have for helping people understand what kind of dashboards are out there and when to choose them. So I'd love to hear more about that. Okay. I'm going to give you a quiz first. And this is not this is not a hard Ooh. quiz. This is a poll. Ooh, okay. okay. Hot seat. Yeah. Leah, <laughs> oh. turn in the tables. You're in the hot seat now. Okay. <laughs> Leah, give me your definition of dashboards because there's 50 million correct answers. What's your definition? <laughs> All right. On the fly, my definition of a dashboard is a single view suite of data chart modules or data form modules that are designed to alert a lay audience to the most critical 
business key performance indicators, business metrics in a way that they can either make very basic decisions on their own or alert them to ask the proper teams to investigate those changes further. Wow. That is a very sophisticated definition. Not that I expected anything <laughs> less of you, but that's probably the best one I've ever heard, to be honest. So oh, <laughs> you get a trophy. Yeah. You get a Friday afternoon trophy. <laughs> Gosh, I love asking people that because you truly get so many different answers. And then mm-hmm. those are your words to describe it. But the picture you have in your head or ones you've seen, that's different for everybody too. Because mm. dashboard software programs have only existed for... I don't know, 10 years? Like when did Tableau become a thing? Five years ago, maybe? I don't know. They, they're they they're growing and growing in popularity all the time. Mm-hmm. And I want to say at least 10 years because right when I discovered this whole field, they were there. Mm-hmm. So it has to be around the 10-year mark. Oh, you know what? Or you know how I mentioned I started speaking at conferences and then people would ask me to go speak? That was my first conference mm-hmm. presentation was I think oh, 2009 wow. about dashboards. So that was 12 years ago now about dashboards when they were the buzzword. Yep. If mm-hmm. you talked about dashboards at a conference, it was a guaranteed standing room only presentation, which might still be <laughs> exactly. the case now. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like there's other topics that are... You said dashboards are sexy. I feel like presentations are sexy. So we should just like switch jobs. We should switch jobs. <laughs> right. Exactly. Nowadays, people who have entered the field maybe more recently might think of a dashboard as, oh, it's Tableau, it's Power BI. They think of maybe a certain Ah, tool tool. with Mm -hmm. a web-based interactive dashboard where the user can drill down and use checkboxes and drop-down menus and explore the dashboard on its own. And I think it was, it's interesting, you mentioned something about maybe a single screen or a single Single view. view. Some people use that in their definitions. Some people don't. Some people are like, oh, it needs to have multiple tabs. Or scrolling Mm -hmm. is another option. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before these software programs existed, 2009 and prior maybe, what people called a dashboard, this is this is my N of one personal opinion. I think <laughs> they meant like a static dashboard, a printout or a PDF. That used to be the mm. thing for dashboards, especially with the groups I work with. We have, I think we have very different groups that we work with. I work with a lot of federal and state government agencies. I work with a lot of universities. I work with nonprofits mm. and foundations. That's still a lot of times how they think about dashboards, honestly, is this, it's yeah. a piece of paper at your annual meeting. It's the packet at the board meeting with your key facts and Mm -hmm. figures on it. So just getting people to sit down and recognize that there's different types of dashboards Mm -hmm. is so critical. Because if you work in a data role, everybody has been asked for a dashboard at some point. Everybody has. (laughs) We needed, what we need right now is more dashboard. <laughs> like that's the one I hear a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I I told you, I don't know if this was before we started recording or after, but I told you I was struggling with my computer this morning mm-hmm. working on a dashboard and I'm helping a group revamp their dashboard, right? Like dashboard in air quotes. It's just an Excel file mm-hmm. with right. columns and rows. There's not a single visual anywhere to be found. It's a very well-organized table that could feed mm-hmm. into graphs, but it's like, that's the lingo they're using in-house to mean dashboard. The file name right. says dashboard, the title in the document says dashboard. When we're emailing back and forth and talking over Zoom, it's it's all dashboard, dashboard, dashboard. And I open it and I'm like, no, this is a table. This is a data yeah. set. Yeah. So it's just every <laughs> single day I have to kind of clarify, wait, you're asking for a mm. dashboard or you say you have a dashboard. Tell me more. What does that look like? What does it feel like? Right, right. The word kind of create certain expectations, I think. And I think this is important for both 
dashboard designers and consumers to understand is spending years in an agency and on the client side, that was almost the first thing people asked for. Oh, we need a dashboard for this. I don't know what I want, but we, we need a dashboard. And getting very clear on the expectation of what that's supposed to accomplish on an ongoing basis, I think, is the first critical step for making that ask I don't know. What do you think about that? Absolutely agree. So I'd say step zero is recognize the dashboard (laughs) idea we have in our minds is going to be probably a little bit different from the dashboard idea Mm. somebody else has in their minds. And then step one is get clear, get clear on Mm -hmm. what the expectations are for that dashboard. This is where the four types come in. Cool. That I'm going to try my best with my frazzled brain after my Excel was breaking on me all morning. I'm so (laughs) angry about this. I would go to insert a row and it would just freeze for like no. 60 seconds. And I've Googled all the things. I restarted the computer. <laughs> it was it was fine for a couple of hours. And then I'd go to insert a row and it just wasn't having it. So maybe this is some dark adware from a dashboard company saying, Anne, come to us. Stop using everyday <laughs> software programs. Pay more. Use our fancy software. Maybe, maybe. No, no. I, they would never do that. They would never do that. <laughs> Okay. Where were we? I'm going to try to describe the four types of dashboards that I have a visual for this. I think I have it on a blog post somewhere that we can put in the show notes. I'm going to try to describe it just with my voice. So we'll see. We'll see Mm -hmm. how I do. So this is the planning convo we've all got to have when people ask us about dashboards to make sure what people are expecting is, is what you make for them, that there's a nice cohesion there. So step one, figure out if you need a static or interactive dashboard. So I'm going to be like, Mm. I'm thinking about kind of quadrants here. So there's kind of this quadrant of you're either on the static side or you're on the interactive side. And that's like the spectrum going from like left to right. That's your left, right. Yeah. Your left, right line. Your gosh, we can geek out on on your podcast, right? It's your X, it's your X axis. (laughs) 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 The horizontal line. Okay. Static or interactive. So static is you really just need a meeting handout. Once things go back Mm. to in-person more and more, you really just need like, there's a staff meeting in the conference room. And what you really need is a one pager of key facts and figures that might be printed out and passed out as a meeting handout. Or Mm -hmm. static would be an email attachment. People say, hey, do you have those key numbers? And you say, sure, here they are. Please see attached. And you send them a fairly short PDF. It doesn't have to be a page. I think that's that's a made up rule some people have in their head. But you know, it's not a full report. It's a short-ish document. Where else would static come in? It's your printouts. It's your PDFs. Could it also be informed by the level of acuity or savvy of your audience? Where maybe you know a, an audience or a decision maker really wants to have a little bit of narrative summary with a few graphics. Yes. And like it all tied up, read to me like a mini bedtime story about our data, make it a page. And I don't want to be drilling down and I don't want to agree 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I have in my notes, it's more for the non-technical audiences Mm. or Mm -hmm. what you might call a lay audience. I think you used lay earlier. And Mm -hmm. it could also be the busy audiences. 
Which is like yeah. every supervisor <laughs> or person in a leadership position ever, mm-hmm. ever. Yep, I mean, executives. really smart people, really highly educated people. They just don't have the privilege of time. So providing them some little details, like you said, is going to be so, so helpful. It's it's a gift mm-hmm. that you've said, I've already dug through all the messy data. Here's what I think are the key findings for you in this That's neat right. and tidy little package. It's like putting the cooked dinner in a five-star restaurant and lifting the metal, whatever that is, <laughs> whispering the ingredients in the ear and then backing away quietly. Leah, you're so good. That's so good. Yes. <laughs> I love analogies. They're like my, my thing. Thank you. And I, I love drawing <laughs> diagrams. So you put us together. We've got an analogy diagram going on. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So static. We know when that would be really helpful. We know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. The other option that's also correct sometimes is interactive. So that's going to be somebody opens, it's going to have to live on a computer or everybody's got phone apps that are dashboardy that you can drill down and, you know, maybe you have your own data. I don't know, the apps that track your runs or your bike rides or something. And you Mm. can say, oh, Mm -hmm. just show me this time frame right now, or just show me my, I think Strava does this. I started using Strava again for exercise. It has some nice little charts in there and stuff, but it's it's digital. Mm -hmm. It's digital. It's not a PDF. It's something that... You use the drop-down menus, you drill down yourself, you interact with it. Right. Interactive. Mm -hmm. The trouble with interactive dashboards is they're not always time appropriate for everybody. You know, people like me, Mm -hmm. probably people like you who like data, we're like, great, let's make a dashboard. And we like exploring the dashboard and we like drilling down because data is our favorite thing in the world. And we're Mm -hmm. like, yeah, let me explore it and find the nuances and find the insights and figure out what's going on and know everything about this data set. But then the people we're giving the dashboard to, they often just need those quick insights, the key takeaways. (laughs) So they're like, I see a lot of mismatches happen in the real world a lot where Mm -hmm. the data people like using interactive dashboards. So they make interactive dashboards, but they're making it for somebody who really just needs a one-page PDF. And there's just this constant kind of mismatch in what's designed and then what people actually need. So you may enjoy cooking the meal at least a little bit or prepping it, but your audience may want to have nothing to do with that. They just want to eat it. They just want you to do your little little reveal, (laughs) right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Many more interactive dashboards should be static dashboards. They really Mm. should. I I hate saying that aloud. Nobody wants to hear it, but it's just... (laughs) But that's so not innovative, Anne. It's so it's so <laughs> boring. Really? Are you sure my boss just wants a one pager? Yeah, they they do. They just want yeah. a one pager. But how do I know it's Especially include? if they got an effective one. Yeah, exactly. Right? A good one. Not a terrible one, a good one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so static or interactive. That's a key decision-making point. And it really depends on your audience. Non-technical mm-hmm. audiences, give them the static dashboard. Technical audiences, give them the interactive dashboard. Got it. The other decision-making factor. So imagine this one is your vertical line on the quadrant, like your vertical Y axis, if we're making a little, like a Mm -hmm. plus sign kind of quadrants. That one's really easy. That's, do you need a single dashboard or do you need lots and lots of matching dashboards? Multi-view. The first time I worked on dashboards, I'm thinking of that 2009 million years ago conference presentation. I used to do education data. So I would work with the U.S. Department of Education or state Hmm. education agencies. And a single dashboard would be like 
all the schools in a state combined, all however many hundreds or thousands of schools, you know, the state overview. Okay. And then a series of dashboards would be one per school. Like school A gets a dashboard, mm. school B gets their own dashboard, school C gets their own dashboard. Ah, got it. So the single is more like an aggregate level for that really bird's eye view. And then the multi-view is allowing you to get more granular yep. for more specific users. Yep. Okay. I also see mismatches there too. Sometimes people <laughs> will think like, well, doesn't the school also want to see the aggregate dashboard for all the schools combined? I mean, sometimes, but what they really want to see is their own school's data. Yeah. It kind of just depends on somebody's position within a project. The people in the state education agency they want to see all the schools combined. They might they might want to see a couple schools individually, but really they want to see like, how's our state doing? And the people working in the schools, they mm -hmm. want to see how's my school doing? So there's not a right or wrong answer there. It's just one of those planning considerations that we've got to talk about upfront to make sure we're making the right dashboard. We don't run into so many issues right. later on. So if I'm hearing you correctly, humans who are the people consuming these dashboards generally want to see data at the level that pertains to yes. them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course. I hope everyone heard that. <laughs> Say it again for the people in the back, Leah. <laughs> Human, no. <laughs> yeah, we want to see useful data, right? We want to see data about right. us, about our own project, which is so obvious to say aloud, it's just, it's one of those things you do need to say aloud at the beginning of a project because otherwise, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I see groups spend months working on dashboards and yeah. so much money and time, or they hire a consultant and the consultant might be mm. very skilled at dashboards, but there hasn't been that conversation up front about what type of dashboard. So the consultant does their best guess. Yeah. They, of course, they do their best guess and they deliver what they think the people need. But, you know, it's just so much time and money lost just because these conversations that take 15 minutes haven't taken place yet. Well, I really think it's in the spirit and this goes for data presentations too, but it's making these outputs audience centered. And if it's designed for more than one audience in one single view, there's going to be a red flag that someone or all will not be happy about some aspect <laughs> of their view. And you're right, an external consultant might not have that insight. They may come in and apply principles and use specific frameworks, but it's understanding that internal culture that is really essential. Yep. I think a lot of times that's like step zero, zero, two, 0.0, .0. <laughs> which I think you and I know because we do this for a living, but thinking about who the audience mm -hmm. is and really trying to narrow your mm -hmm. audience to one. Everybody has multiple audiences. So, you know, I'm sure you've done this with groups like you're making some presentation slides. Who are the slides for? When's your presentation? Right. Who's going to be in the room? Mm -hmm. Obvious questions like that, right? What needs to be covered and how does everyone get their needs met? Right. Absolutely. Okay. So we talked about the four types, mm -hmm. static or interactive, single mm -hmm. or series. And then depending on what type you need, depending on which of the four quadrants you fall into, that determines what software program you're going to use. Software comes ah. later. Software comes later. So everybody is like, we just got Power BI and what can we do with it? I'm like, I don't know. What do you need to do? <laughs> 
Right. Did you need it? <laughs> oh, I started switching from Excel to Sheets to see what Sheets could do. Great, but it does the right. same things as Excel pretty much. <laughs> like, what do you need it to do? Yeah. Why? The question is why. <laughs> yeah. You know, Leah, I'm a big fan of everyday software. I use Excel and PowerPoint and Word yeah. as much as possible. It tends to be the, the common language among all the groups I work with anyway. And I think people are usually mm -hmm. pleasantly surprised to learn how much Excel can do. So oh, yeah. everything on the static side, Excel can do. Like if you're making a one-page PDF, make it in Excel, set mm -hmm. it up to be PDFable, just set the page <laughs> margins. You can adjust the page breaks. You can add page numbers. You can adjust all the font sizes. You can make it look like it was made in some other software program. It can look very beautiful. Mm -hmm but it's, it's just Excel saved as a PDF. And you can even do a lot of interactivity with Excel too, with slicers that are a lot yep. easier to use than people might realize too. Slicers sound confusing. It's just a filter. There's a million Google resources and YouTube resources on how to add slicers. They're not complicated or time consuming at all. Right. No, this is great. And one of the questions I feel like would bubble up for practitioners since I spent many, many hours creating static dashboards in Excel was I sort of exited this realm when things like Google Data Studio really started ramping up where they were kind of creating an Excel-ish experience, nothing insanely groundbreaking in terms of visualization. But these platforms were aiming to alleviate some of the headache that practitioners experience in actually creating and designing them of cleaner data import and hygiene and making the process of getting raw data into actual visuals more streamlined that could still be PDFable. So I'd love to hear about tools like that where you don't have to intend for it to be interactive where a, a consumer gets lost in it, but they might solve for some of the, you know, like very rote manual data issues in Excel. Yeah, you know, I'm not too familiar with Data Studio, to be honest. I'm familiar with my depicted Data Studio, but but not the Google <laughs> Data Studio. Not the yeah, same. Yeah, <laughs> but in terms of Google's Sheets, I put Excel and Sheets, and then if you're on a Mac, Numbers, those are the same bucket in my mind. They do Similar. almost mm -hmm. the exact same thing. There's little right. nuances that can can give us all huge headaches, but they're mostly similar. You know, it's like a Venn diagram. That's, mm -hmm. Here's me diagramming again. I can't help myself. I can't help myself. They're, pra they're practically overlapping. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I guess that's something to think about again, because it's about the why, Right. Someone might choose to use a, a platform. Data Studio definitely is more of a visual interface to like a repository of data, which I have found useful for pulling stuff in where you can pull in from sheets, but you can also pull in directly from other data sources so that you're not extracting data and porting it into Excel, which is the, the way that I used to do it. So do you have any tips for that in terms of making that process easier, more streamlined, or it just is what it is? Google Data Studio specific tips would be check out my friend Ben Collins. That's what he does for oh, a yeah, living. He's BenLCollins.com. Mm -hmm. He is like the Google and data trainer. Oh, yeah. He's got all sorts of courses. Honestly, that's why I don't have to learn about Sheets or Data Studio because I'm like, go ask my friend. Like, he right, already knows how right. to do all of that. Why, why would I learn? Just refer people right. to him. <laughs> but then in terms of getting data into Excel, 
That I don't know. That's so tricky. Every organization is so different. I'll give mm-hmm. people a really practical tip. I was working with a woman on Wednesday, just just a couple of days ago. Anyway, I don't know when this is airing, but it's just a couple of days ago. And <laughs> she works at a foundation. So she has a foundation database where they all enter in information about their grants that they give out to organizations in the community. So mm-hmm. I don't know, it's like a grant level type of database. And she wanted to look at some patterns over time. Who doesn't? She was getting ready to pull one year's worth of numbers. We were trying to make it easy for her to pull the next year of numbers so she could do some time comparisons. Mm. And Mm -hmm. what she had been doing, what had she been doing? She had been like downloading the data one year at a time. 2020 data was its own sheet and then 2021 was its own sheet and she couldn't kind of compare across sheets. And I told her, just Mm -hmm. do one download, do one download (laughs) and include the column in your export that says the year And then Mm -hmm. we put that into a pivot table and filtered by year. If people who are listening work with data, they're like, duh, I understand exactly what you're talking about. If you don't work (laughs) with data, I'll just say, try to keep all your data in one spreadsheet when you download it. One single spreadsheet to use is going to save a lot of time. 100%. I think the hardest lesson I learned was all of these discrete imports and then placing them on sheets. I always thought to myself, can I create a column that allows me to enter this as just another dimension of the data? Yep. <laughs> Saved so much headache. Yep. Very cool. That's a, that's a great tip because I, I know there's a range of expertise of people coming into this of who listens. So everyone loves the do's and don'ts. So first, I want to start with what are some of the more effective, awesome, either examples of dashboards you've seen or techniques that are being used that you're like, yes, please, more of this? Well, anybody who has a dashboard, five gold stars, well done, because getting your first (laughs) dashboard set up is the hardest part. So anybody who's listening, if you have one, you know how hard this has been. It might have required hiring a new staff member. It might've required going to training. It might've required lots of lots of long hours and thought process and just mentally like thinking about what's the important data to include? Where do we get that data? Getting the first dashboard is super, super hard. So it's hard to give examples of specific really good dashboards because so many groups dashboards are private. So I get to uh-huh. see them because I sign all the papers with them to give me permission, but a lot of them aren't public facing. So that's changing though. For a lot of the foundations and government agencies they work with, more and more data is becoming public all the time, which is really cool. But a a lot of the good ones are like behind behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. That's something to look out for. It it is true that a lot more data is being socialized, especially in the last (laughs) couple of years where data has been sort of top of mind for a lot of people. But maybe this question then might be a little easier to answer where, what do you think are the biggest challenges or mistakes practitioners are making when it comes to building their dashboards, whether it's charts, colors, formatting, layout, you know, what what do you think are the biggest hangups? I think the biggest challenge a lot of us run into is volume just how much we're trying to include in a dashboard. Mm. That seems to be a roadblock Mm. for everybody working on a dashboard. Like, how do I fit all the charts on this page? (laughs) Do I scroll or not? Do I have different sheets or tabs along the bottom? If it's a printed dashboard, how many different pages can I have to fit everything? 
So if anybody listening is running into that problem, I would say time out, go back to that whatever 0.00 question, (laughs) try to pick one audience that this is for, because a lot of times if people are like, well, this is for my boss, but it's also for our board of trustees, but it's also going to be public facing on our website someday. And it's also for that staff meeting, but I also Mm. want to share it at that conference with my peers. And that's so (laughs) many different yeah, data priorities and data needs to try to fit into one dashboard. So I just see a lot of dashboards that look very full, very just so many different charts. <laughs> bulging. Bulging. Bursting at the Chunky. seams, absolutely. So just take a step back and say, okay, if I had to pick one audience and prioritize just the data points that that one audience needs, that mm. solves almost every other problem. It really does. Right. That is interesting because I've often wondered about layout in dashboards. Does a layout of the modules matter? Because often I'll go and I'll see like on a dashboard platform, they'll show you examples of what their dashboards look like, what their reporting looks like of different, you know, reporting platforms that you can use. And their like platinum view dashboards is really very random. Seems like a very random selection of as many different kinds of chart types as possible to almost create, ooh, like a candy shop feeling of, ooh, look at all of these different things. So what is your take on the actual layout? Does it matter? Should it have all different chart types? The chart types discussion is interesting because... I come from a research background. Like my first job Mm -hmm. was I worked in a university and I churned out peer-reviewed journal articles for an NIH-funded study, like very academic, very technical, very researchy. And Mm -hmm. I had all bar charts all the time. It was – I think I had seen (laughs) – what had I maybe seen in my first couple years of working? I had seen bar charts – I had seen a pie chart at some point. I hadn't used them. Maybe (laughs) lines if we collected data over time. Scatter plots, maybe. Scatter plots mm. are kind of what you use in a stats class. They're out in the mm-hmm. real world. They can absolutely work in the real world. You know, but that's about it. I don't think I'd ever even thought about including maps or any of the other options. So anyway, people should know my personal weakness is I have way too many bar charts. I always do it in all my drafts. <laughs> so then I know that about my like we all know our strengths and weaknesses, right? So I know my weakness is my go-to is bar charts. So then as I mm-hmm. edit my slides or dashboards or reports, I try to add more variety so that I'm not looking at it saying, mm-hmm. oh geez, Anne, have you not learned anything? You have all bar charts over <laughs> and over again. But then sometimes I hit the phase where I'm like, but this is just for an internal audience and they're all technical and the bar chart's perfectly sufficient. And why am I trying to do anything that looks like a candy shop and just use variety for variety's sake? So I don't know. Honestly, I've, I've gone back and forth in that decision about whether like everyday charts like bar charts are okay or whether you do need Mm -hmm. variety. I'm not, honestly, I'm not sure where I sit as of today. (laughs) Wow, that's insightful. In reading uh, Nancy Duarte's data story, she talked about how their company conducted this massive research into thousands of their clients' executive presentation slides, and they were trying to look for the most common chart types, and they were expecting elaborate, innovative visualizations and things. And what was amazing is it came down to three, where the vast majority were bars pies or donuts, 
and lines. And, and that was it. And while I actually, I personally believe you can include a few more in there, especially with executive presentation, like bullets, stacked bar, 100% stacked bars, things like that. Sometimes they're going to require the right training because those three people immediately understand what they're supposed to understand from seeing those charts. There's no learning curve. There's no training gap. So I think that's why we end up going back to that. And to your point, asking that question, why, is still so critical. Why am I changing it up? Is it for variety's sake? Or is it because this is truly the best chart type for this? Or if it's kind of a neck and neck, like they can work equally well, okay, then let's throw some variety in there if that's <laughs> if that's really called for. you. Know? Yeah. Or am I just picking it because I have a chip on my own shoulder and I'm just embarrassed <laughs> looking at my work from 10 years ago, this all bar charts. I'm like, I got to jazz it up yeah. now because the bar has been raised. <laughs> I, I don't oh, know. Pun intended. <laughs> I didn't realize that one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with a group that had this is super, super nuanced, but you have a data savvy audience, so maybe they'll appreciate it. But it was mm -hmm. a category with subcategories with sub subcategories. That's how their data was structured. Mm -hmm. So some people call that nested data or hierarchical data. It was three levels mm -hmm. of data, like the, the broadest and then the subcategories, sub sub, right? Okay. There's a lot of different ways you could display that. So what they previously had was they previously had three separate charts on three different slides which didn't work because these were related. You couldn't tell that something was a subcategory of something else because it was physically on a different slide of the presentation. And it would take a very uh, okay. skilled presenter to be able to click through and say mm -hmm. like exactly, to just say with their voice how these charts were connected. So connection. it needed to be mm -hmm. one cohesive chart, not three separate separate charts on three separate slides. So we were thinking, mm -hmm. okay, how do we bring these three disparate charts together and what are all the things we brainstormed? We tried a tree map to show how the nesting and the, or the hierarchy worked. We tried a sunburst diagram, which is basically mm. a donut chart with layers going outwards. You could see like pretend one donut is a fourth oh, okay. of the donut and then that breaks off into the next First, rung yeah. mm -hmm. and the next rung. And those just based on their data – because they had some zeros or some 1% or some little tiny slivers that just didn't show up. And that didn't quite work. And then what we settled on as being the best approach was a Sankey diagram, which basically uh -huh. looks like stacked column charts kind of in a row. Here's this mm -hmm. broad one, subcategories, sub-subcategories. It was going from left to right across the screen. Well, then we ran into a different hiccup where you can't really make that in PowerPoint or Excel. Right. So then how do you make that? And the guy was like, well, I know how to make this in Tableau, but then making sure the formatting from Tableau matched everything else they had in PowerPoint, or do mm -hmm. you go to like sankeymatic.com and make it there? But then you, that's an extra step. And I wish it was some simple discussion of like, yeah, just use a bar chart if this, this, or this, or just use a Sankey diagram or this is this, right. but it's always more nuanced than that of like, yeah, we could make a Sankey diagram, but at what cost of staff time? And is it really that much better than, I mean, I honestly, we haven't finished this project yet, but we're probably going to end up with, <laughs> with some bar charts. We probably are. We probably are going to end up with bar yeah. charts to save time because in the context of this broader presentation, these charts are not the star of the show. They matter, but they don't like right. matter matter. So I don't know. 
Well, I think what you're getting to is, again, that's people are always walking this line between form and function. And even though appeal, visual appeal is important, like people will actually trust something more because they like the way it looks, which is something I picked up from Cole Nussbaum and Affleck's book. But the thing is, I think we make a lot of sacrifices for form and we sacrifice function. This is why that why question is literally like I'm constantly asking this myself. Why would I choose that? And by the time I'm done looking at this, can it answer these questions? It's like something I call the grunt test of like a cave person coming and looking at something and grunting and knowing exactly what they were supposed to get from it. Or they're grunting in like confusion. and <laughs> You need a sound effect of grunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think this is why intentional design and data viz is so, is like the core pillar of my entire approach to things because I never want to do anything for the sake of doing something either because I'm not thinking about it and I'm just not conscious or the reason isn't in the highest service of comprehension and understanding for the audience. Agreed. We're speaking the same language. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, good luck with the sand key that might end up being three bars. Yeah, we'll and see. That's perfectly fine. To be determined. <laughs> Stay tuned. You'll have to keep us updated. All right. Okay, so we've arrived at our upgrade segment, which is a tool, a resource, a book, a something that you are loving right now that's really taking your practice to the next level or something that was really integral to your journey as a practitioner. So what do you got? All right. I have so many good books to choose from, but I'm going to show the one that I <laughs> am currently just fangirling over. Welcome to Anne's Bookshelf. <laughs> it's called I Am a Book. I am a portal to the universe, and it is by <laughs> here's the authors Stephanie Posevic and Miriam okay. Quick. And I had to order this, I think it came from the UK. So there's no like Amazon one day shipping if you're in the US. It still comes in about <laughs> a week though. And okay, it is amazing in terms of text placement, text placement, oh. Nobel Prize for this. <laughs> you know, I, I told you I come from a really boring research background of all academic reports, Times New Roman size 12. And this book gives me permission to use like font size 5,000. Right. <laughs> right. And to not have them this all go going on my Christmas list. To not have them all linear. This whole book is a oh, story. Wow. The story is based on the art of how the text is displayed. It's an educational story. It's about facts and figures and science. Oh, wow. But it's just the text play. It's just absolutely a masterpiece. Oh, my god! So it makes me think. So visual. Wow, why have I been so boring with paragraphs? A paragraph doesn't <laughs> just have to go from left to right in a certain font size. So... I don't know if this one, I don't know if they have an ebook version. It really has, you really have to get the physical one, I think, to understand yeah. it. And you know, what sounds amazing about that is it's so helpful sometimes when something comes along that breaks us out of a paradigm that we are so enmeshed in of reading paragraphs. Like I'm writing my book right now and it's paragraph format, 
with visuals, but that's what I'm used to. That's what I'm used to reading. That's what I'm able to produce at this time. But even just the pages you showed me, it's amazing to see what your brain does when it's challenged a little bit. It's like this crazy house that I heard about once where they built the house with a floor that was completely uneven and nothing was even or predictable whatsoever. Like the stairs were all janky and the floor had these constant slopes and you had to constantly watch your step and think about how to move across the space. So you literally couldn't check out, like there's a word I'm looking for, but you couldn't go on autopilot, right? So I think a book like that is going to be amazing for jiggering some creative juices and seeing how that can flow. That's amazing. I love it. So I just want to, before I enter the final question, is there anything you're really excited about with the future of data storytelling right now? Ooh. I cannot wait till I can stop talking about some of the topics I'm talking about. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) Let's re-record this in 10 years. And (laughs) you got it. Our dashboard conversation, I cannot wait for that to be a different conversation. I hope. I hope. Mm. That's what I'm working towards, that we no longer have to say, guess what? Not every dashboard has to be interactive. It's okay to have a one-page PDF. Or we don't have to say, hey, really, we need to narrow down our audiences that we just don't have to talk about that because everybody gets it and they've already moved on to mm-hmm. bigger and better things. So I cannot wait for the types right. of topics that I'm blogging about and talking on podcasts about and going to speak at conferences about. I can't wait for this to shift someday. <laughs> I don't know if that was the answer you wanted me to say, but that's what's been on my mind a lot, a no, lot lately. Actually, I completely resonate. There are certain parts of my training where I'm like, I dream of the day I never have to say this again, but for now, I think as advanced as certain things are getting with mobile dashboards and predictive modeling and AI and things, I think what we're really seeing come to the surface is this gap in the foundations. You know, we need to put a few cinder blocks in there before we start to build the glass sunroom. (laughs) You know, that's why I appreciate your work so much because I think we're just going to have to keep doing that for a little bit. Yep. That's okay. It's called job security. <laughs> yeah. Somebody the other day was like, are you worried the robots will replace you? And I was like, absolutely not. No. Nope. Nope. Not <laughs> one bit. There's no robot no to replace critical In thinking fact, skills. In fact, thanks to the robots, probably going to be around for longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is our final wild card question. So think very hard here. And imagine this very plausible scenario. You're backpacking along the coast of Spain with your family in tow when suddenly you trip and fall into a vortex that pulls you back to the moment you're about to deliver your first presentation. Because we do talk about that here too. Love to know if you remember, what are you presenting about and what advice would you give to yourself? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Can I give you something probably... You were, weren't expecting. Why not? Why not? We're recording this on a Friday. Of I get to be myself. Of course. We love twists on a data storytelling show. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about this one before. My first conference presentation was 2009. It was about dashboards. And it was the presentation was like, hey, we should have dashboards. We shouldn't just have 100-page <laughs> reports. We should have dashboards so people get individualized data. And it was my first presentation. So nobody was there to hear little old Anne. Nobody had heard of me. I was like mm. very entry-level person at my first conference. Everybody was there because the term dashboards was in the conference session title. Mm-hmm. So I was very unpleasantly surprised to be speaking to 
a standing room only audience, along with my colleague too. <laughs> I don't know if I could say this. So I started this story. I guess I have to finish it. I wore a dress. I wore a very conservative business casual dress that was about mm-hmm. knee length, but I had people sitting two feet in oh, front no. of me on the floor. And the <laughs> whole 90 minutes, I was just worried. Are they seeing more than they should see? (laughs) And since then, I've almost always spoken in pants. So that's what I would do differently. I would just, I would have worn pants. (laughs) Also, I would have brought handouts too. That's, that's probably the answer that I, that I should have given. (laughs) Oh, by the way, handouts. by the way, handouts, because we were talking about VBA coding and like nobody, nobody in the audience knew about VBA coding. And we should have just Mm -hmm. said, we talked about this four step, like, here's what you do with, with VBA coding to get started. We should have just had a one pager that had those four steps Mm -hmm. typed out. And maybe we did, but maybe we brought 20 copies and not 150 copies. I don't remember, but I I think Mm -hmm. I just thought a presentation is slides. Well, kind of, but a presentation is also the people presenting and it's also supplemental materials like slides. So now I always have handouts. Right. Okay. I've given you two answers. <laughs> I love where that ended. I love the journey that took. <laughs> but building on the handout aspect, you know, especially if you're considering conferences, I think absolutely one of the best things to do is to have a handout that's more readable, prepared, rather than when they inevitably ask you to send your slide deck, which if you're designing it correctly, is most likely not suitable to be a printable handout. (laughs) But bring that. And I bet you that people will remember that talk so well because you're helping seal your information into people's brains just by having that more readable version accessible. Yeah, I love how we just glossed over that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, thinking about wardrobe, wardrobe is essential too. It's very important. All right. Well, and unfortunately, our time has run out. I have loved this discussion so much. There was such useful stuff here. So tell the listeners where they can keep up with you if they don't know already. I'm really easy to find online. So if you just Google Anne K. Emery, you know, data viz, you'll find my website. I have a bunch of blog posts. I have a bunch of YouTube videos. I have a newsletter, all the usual stuff so we can stay in touch. Perfect. And you also have what sounds like a pretty robust data viz course library too. So why don't you share a little about that? I do. I started making courses in 2018, which was pretty early for online courses. Nowadays, the technology is advanced. So a lot of people have courses, oh, but yeah. I have courses on data analysis, data viz best practices, how to make graphs and edit them in Excel, several dashboard classes on the different types of dashboards we talked about presentations, mm-hmm. reports. I love making courses. So I have I have all the courses. <laughs> well, what's funny is I think we're in the same course building like entrepreneurial community oh. on Facebook where we accidentally saw each other in there where you were like, Leah, because <laughs> I posted something. And then you actually shared some kind of spreadsheet that shows all of the course topics oh. you're tackling. And I was like, Wow, she is a machine. <laughs> I think about courses. I have all the diagrams and spreadsheets for the courses as well. <laughs> yep. I might be borrowing some of Go those. for it. <laughs> awesome. Yep. And all of these links are going to be available on the show notes page for this episode. So, Anne, thank you so much for being on the show today. Such a long time coming. I'm so glad we make it work. Your work has been such a major influence for so many, including myself. And I feel privileged to know you and get to share your wisdom here. And I look forward to some future collaborations with you. All right. Thanks, Leah. Thanks for having me.
All right. Wow. What an incredible moment to finally have Anne on the show and have her share her brilliant wisdom, very practical wisdom around creating dashboards, which, you know, rather than where we tend to get caught up with the fancy sophistication of our chart types and and interactivity, sometimes it really is about boiling it down to the basics. So to catch all of the links to register for her course, check out her website, and for all the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes page at leopika.com slash 073. I would love if you could leave a comment or suggestions or even a question for Anne, because we want to hear about the challenges you face when you're presenting your vital information. And please, if you've liked what you've heard, if you're a fan of the show, please, if you're on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the top and hit that little plus sign to subscribe. Or if you're on Spotify, you can hit the follow button and even better, leave a rating and review. Rating and reviews are extremely appreciated because they affect the rankings of the show. And I read out my favorite ratings here. And last, if you're a fan, I welcome you to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find there. And if you're a fan of the show, just drop a note. Make sure you drop a note with your connection invite, and I will be sure to accept it. I'd love to connect. And I'll leave you with today's little bit of presentation inspiration by my Greek homeboy, Aristotle. And that is, excellence is never an accident. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution. It represents the wise choice of many alternatives. Choice, not chance, determines your destiny. Phew, that might be one of my favorite quotes of all time. You know, as someone who takes a lot of pride in working towards excellence where I can (laughs) without uh, killing myself, it is so important to understand that when you move towards a path towards excellence, it really is about identifying all the little choices that you're able to make along the way. It's doing things like dashboard and data visualization design, not by default, but by design. (laughs) You get me? So think about all the ways that you can make intentional choices when you are building dashboards or data presentations or reports, whatever you have to use to communicate your insights. I promise that the more you identify those choices and make them intentionally, the closer you will get to excellence. That's it for today. Stay well, stay safe, and namaste. Namaste.